Hello there and welcome to Dwarven Subtlety. Um, so this is a podcast for Dungeons and Dragons and really any role-playing game uh, for players and for DMs. Um, today's episode, um, I was listening to some podcasts, uh, YouTube videos, things like that, uh, looking through Reddit, and I found a really interesting trend that I just had the urge to go ahead and make a, make a podcast for today. Uh, so the trend that I found is, it, it, it wasn't actually this, but it reminded me of this. Um, it, it's how DMs will often derail their own adventures. And this is something that every time I heard one of these stories, I smiled. And I would think to myself, oh my gosh, that is an absolutely amazingly great way to waste an entire campaign or entire session. It was so funny. So the one that the one that I heard that really cracked me up was uh, there were these players that were going from Elysium down into the Nine Hells. You just follow them hill down, and there you are. And right after they'd crossed into the plane of the Nine Hells, they uh, did their long rest, and when they woke up, there was a goat. And the players are really freaked out about this goat. I mean, they spent half hour, 45 minutes trying to figure out if this is a demon goat coming to eat their souls. Uh, And as it turns out, it's not. Um, It's just a goat that wandered down from Elysium and got lost. And now that this has happened, the players are now concerned about this goat. You know, they've just determined where it came from and it doesn't belong down here. This is a dangerous place for a goat to be. So instead of continuing down into the Nine Hells where the adventure continues, they took the goat back to Elysium. And I absolutely love this. The DM, you know, he was just throwing it in there for some flavor. You know, oh, by the way, there's also a goat on the hill. And now the players are completely obsessed over that goat. Oh my gosh, that goat is going to be the, the new source of everything to come. The hallmark of all to be. And it's, it's just de- set decoration. Um, I completely loved this. And I think it is something that you should do every once in a while. You know, I mean, um, it's a thing that you should be aware of, that your players are in this world. They're listening to everything you're talking about. If you give the description, you wake up and the sky around you is gray and foggy and clouded. And in the distance, you can hear wailing moans. And as you look up onto the hilltop, you see a lone goat with a look of fear and terror in its eyes. Dude, I'm gonna check that goat out. You just gave me something interesting. I can't do anything about the gray mist. I'm probably not gonna do anything about the people screaming and howling because what the heck were they doing there in the first place? Come on. Um, so in the end, I, I absolutely love this kind of a concept for for a game. And it's something that you have to be aware that you might do on accident. Um, another fun example um, was, you know, a lot of time it just comes from set decoration. It really, really does. Uh, another one of the examples I heard was um, players were investigating a um, abandoned town, and um, on out, outside of one of the buildings was a brass bell with no knocker in it. Mundane set decoration, you know? There's nothing really exciting about that. So... The players develop their own story behind what's up with this bell. 
And I love that they did that. I absolutely love that they did that. They they developed this huge, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, mythology behind the bell. And they have all of these things in play that the DM didn't really give them that information. So the thought process they had was that the orcs that had attacked the town, um, you know, destroyed everything, and this was sort of like the symbol of that destruction. So, you know, the, when they get to the BBEG, the big bad evil guy, they, the final killing blow is with this bell by the paladin who, as he did it, told the DM, this is my new holy symbol. And if you think about it, no, absolutely not. You know, the rules say holy symbols are these specific things. It's not a bell you found on a side of a building. No. But if you think about it, yes. Absolutely yes. I love that the DM let that go. Because that is a true thing. That is a development item. And that bell represents why the paladin is fighting in this instance. It was really well done. It was really well played. I am so happy that stuff like that happens in Dungeons & Dragons. That is literally the reason that I play. The reason that I play as a player is because I love to explore the worlds my DMs create for me. And the reason that I absolutely love to play as a DM is because I love to create those worlds for my players. Um, I am a rules lawyer. I am a metagamer. I will be the first to admit this. I have done absolutely stupid things and gotten away with it. Um, I don't look up stat blocks. I don't look up adventure, you know, stories and stuff like that. Um, after we clear an area, I'll usually sort of like look through, you know, the, the notes on it and stuff like that. Or if we're in an area where my DM says, you know about these things, I'll go and read about those things. But I don't do anything to spoil the adventure. Um, one thing I do do, especially with a group I'm running right now, they're all new players, is I'm sort of guiding them into how to play their characters. Uh, my favorite example of this was I have a couple of spellcasters, um, Elora the Explorer and Maleficent the Magnificent, dear lord. Anyways, um, <laughs> so they were casting just cantrips because they didn't want to burn their spell slots. And they're fighting a pack of werewolves. And so I look at them and it's like, hey, try casting catapult, second level catapult. And they look at me like, okay. And so they cast the spell and I fudged the numbers and made sure that the, the werewolf failed because I wanted them to have that feeling of, oh my God, look at what I just did. And they rolled their dice, they rolled their damage. And originally they were doing anywhere from like, you know, on average three to seven points of damage a turn. And with this one spell... They did something like 23 points of damage. It was beautiful. I was so happy. They were so happy. Um, I caused effects to happen because of it. Um, I told them that I rolled a one on it, so they're going to get a ricochet, and half the damage will go to someone else also. And they were just all excited and happy and loving it. Um, and I think that's one of the things as a DM that you can do for your players. Um, I don't know where I got off on this tangent of this. But I'm going to keep going with it because I liked this, this, uh, these sort of notes. Um, oh, I remember where I was. Anyways, so metagaming as a DM can be very good. 
it can also be very bad. Um, you don't want to railroad your players into doing things they don't want to do. Uh, I did hear another example of this, again, on another podcast. They were talking about do's and don'ts. Um, and the don't that I heard was, you know, you, you, you get to a bandit camp, and the players want to infiltrate the bandit camp. They want to find out what's happening in that bandit camp. So the DM, you know, they, they do this whole thing. They spend an hour and a half, two hours working on how are we going to infiltrate this place. They capture another guard. They uh, interrogate him in zone of truth. They steal his clothes. The bard cast disguised self so they look like them. They're in full infiltration mode. And the DM wants them to fight these guys. He doesn't want them to infiltrate them and find out information. It's just a fight. I can sort of understand this if you didn't prepare something, but you were just given an hour to prepare something. It's not that hard. If you can't do, if you can't improvise on your players, I mean, you can run modules, but you need to let them know this is a railroaded module. Um, you're not going to be adjusting anything, which isn't really a lot of fun. Uh, my adjustments usually come from my lack of planning and preparation. Uh, I've saved my players' lives with that, I swear. Uh, but anyway, so what happens with this is the guy gets into town. He's fully disguised. Uh, he gets there, and one of the guys goes, Hey, Bob, you owe me money! And then he immediately starts to attack him. As you do when someone owes you money, because kill them. Maybe they'll have some money on them. Oh my gosh, stupidest thing I ever heard. Um, and so that player gets knocked out and tied up and bound and gagged, and now they have to go and attack the bandits and save him. It's like, dude, you just created a new scenario. You just created a kidnap scenario where they have to rescue their friend. Why couldn't you create a scenario where they have a boss that, you know, you, the, you have to talk to for a couple seconds, and they're infiltrating information, they're finding out what the bandits are there for, yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually had to create a bunch of the stuff for the guy, for, for Bob the bandit, because they cast Zone of Truth on him and they were asking him questions. He had to already do that. I mean, there was so much that he already did that I don't know why they didn't just take it to the next easy step instead of ruining the player's fun. Because in the end, as a DM, you have to remember, this is a game. You are running it for your players. Your players are not going to go in the direction you want them to go, i.e. the GOAT. It was just set decoration. Now it's now it's an entire session. That's the entire adventure of the session. And then when you come back, you're back at the exact same place. And just to screw with your players the next morning, the goddamn goat followed you. <laughs> um, sorry for the GD there, guys. Anyways. Um, so I think, you know, as a DM, the choices that you make should affect your players as positively as you can. Um, and it's difficult to do. It really, really is. Um, one of the hardest things to do is to anticipate what your players are going to do. Um, with veteran players that you've played with for a while, it's not that hard. You know what they're going to do because you've interacted with them. If you set th this scenario, this is probably going to happen. Uh, with my group I'm running right now, we're doing Curse of Strahd. I have probably tripled the content in that handbook because they keep on doing stuff that's not in the book and I am not a, oh, I don't have any information on that kind of guy. I am a, okay, so you want to know 
if the night hag that's kidnapping kids is also a follower of Strahd, um, and if she is in league with the vampires as a double agent so that she can get the vampires killed by Strahd, but she has to get this... Okay, so this is how this is gonna work. And then you just bullshit it. That's all you can do. You have to make it up on the fly. And a lot of times I'll tell my players, okay, I love that you asked that question. Give me a minute to create an answer. And they are totally fine with that. They know that they're getting me. They love to get me. Um, they know that if I answer a question right away, it was pre-planned. They're like, okay, okay, let's, let's play with this. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's so much you can do in the game. There's really no limit to it. And I love that about this game. Um, let's see, what else have I got? Um, now, as a DM, you also have to be able to adapt to your player's you know, cutting the Gordian knot. Uh, a good example of this is me as a bad player. Um, the DM had created this, you know, gigantic 2,000 foot tall um, earth and stone tower, and we had to get to the top of it and collect the um, mysterious item. Uh, what's it called? The, um, oh, what's it called when the item is just the magical item that leads the story? A MacGuffin. We had to collect the MacGuffin. Um, and so we, we, we spent two sessions trying to figure out how to get into this place. And the way that he wanted us to go in was he wanted us to swim, go under the grate, and then go in. But the way that he presented it to us as the only way in was like a 2,000-foot swim. We've got people in full armor. We can't do that. So we wrote that off, and we're like, okay, what about going over the mountain and casting Featherfall and falling down onto this place? He's like, oh no, it's, uh, it's too far of a gap. And so we're like, I mean, the only other option we have is frontal assault of the gates, and there's four of us versus a couple thousand guards. It's not going to work. So what we ended up deciding on doing was my character was a uh, ninja monk. Um, so I had like, you know, Way of the Shadow, I think it was. So I could teleport through shadows, and I had a ridiculously low fall damage. So what I thought was, okay... Um, cast wall walk on me and I will run at top speed up this wall get to, you know, teleport through the parapets until I get to the one that has the tower, climb the tower, get the MacGuffin and then I will just leap off the side as far as I can which is pretty dang far because I got the long jump spell, alright um so I get up to the top, I literally grab the thing bamf up to the top, jump off the side, get to the bottom. As I'm landing on the bottom, I roll a die, get an 18, cast silence on the area where I land. There's not a sound. All of a sudden, there's just a dark spot moving through the air, and then nothing. And then I was able to bamf my way back out. No issues whatsoever. I mean, there were issues. I had one hit point when I landed, but still, that was... semantics. Anyways, um... <laughs> The gist was that I cut the Gordian knot. Instead of going through this whole adventure of what he wants us to do, I just sort of ignored it and went around it. And it sucked for the DM. He actually kind of, you know, rail, railed me over the coals for that one. But I, I told him, I'm like, dude, you didn't give us any other way in. He's like, oh, no, there was the waterway. I'm like, you said it was a half a mile swim 
through monster-infested waters with this and this and this gate that we have to go under, and that guy's wearing full plate. What the hell did you think we were going to do? And he realized that he hadn't thought that through. He didn't give us any other way in, and he realized that what I did was the most logical thing. And if you just heard what I said I did, and you think that's the most logical thing to do, there's something wrong with what you've set up. Um, I ended up actually leaving that group. Um, I uh, changed jobs and just couldn't keep up with them. Um, and he actually isn't a friend anymore. He, uh, he turns out he, uh, he didn't like me. I'm okay with that. He, I didn't, a after I found out why he didn't like me, I didn't like him either. So, you know, tomato, tomatoes. Um, this is going a bit long-winded. I'm just sort of rambling now. But the, the, the gist of this was that, you know, there's going to be things that happen with players that you're not going to be able to anticipate. Um, you have to learn how to roll with it. Uh, your players are going to derail you at every chance they get. There's nothing you can do about this at all. Uh, so the best thing that you can do is learn how your players think and sort of anticipate them. Um, also, when you're setting up the set decoration, be aware that anything that's even slightly interesting, your players will latch onto. If I mention that you're in a room with a bed, an armoire, and a mirror with mystical runes carved into the top, guess what players are going to check out? They're going to check out that mirror. I have accidentally given, you know, I give the description of a room, and that was the situation. Bed, armoire, mirror with runes. My players spent an hour on that mirror, and there was nothing special about it. It got to the point where I had to make it special. Um, and what I ended up doing was I had it be a thing where from their side it was not magical. But if you go into the next room, there's a s identical mirror that you can see through to it. And they lost their minds. That wasn't in the module. Are you kidding? The next room over was a freaking broom closet. I made it a bedroom. <laughs> You just got to play with that kind of stuff. And giving your players little uh, Easter eggs like that, or not Easter eggs, but just sort of like, you know, surprises, it really makes them happy. Because, I mean, like I said, again, this is a game for you and your players. You are trying to create this wonderful experience for your players, and your players are trying to ruin it at every step of the way. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> your players are trying to find out the best ways to manage themselves in these situations. Um, that's all I'm going to do for now. This is already at 19 minutes. This has been Dwarven Subtlety. Stay subtle, my lads. <laughs>